Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1275, air date July 24th, 2023. All right, great. Uh, I'm back, guys. Michael Theophil here, Dream is Free podcast. Today, I have a guest who I admire. Um, I, I guess you could say I look up to you in a way uh, for your knowledge and, and your truth-seeking. We have Dr. Shiva here. Um, doctor, you are an MIT grad, you're an inventor of the email, you're a truth activist, you do a lot of things. But I, when I first saw your clip, the hive mindset, the swarm, the swarm mindset, I'm yeah. sorry, um, how 10,000 control 8 billion. Um, the first thing I f- actually thought was, what's this guy's story? You know, where did he come from? What's his life? What was, what was it like growing up where he came from? And, and especially once I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, the inventor of the email at 14, right? That's right. You, you patented at 14, yep. um, which is awesome. That's ridiculous. Um, I guess let's just start with how are you? How's everything? How's, how's life? It's, it's going good. I, I think the key thing, um, Michael, is you know, you, you're, you're from Bridgeport, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you talked about the invention of email. Mm-hmm. Email was not done at MIT. I did it before I came to MIT. It was done in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I Shout think out that, Jersey. The, the, the story of my life really, you know, in many ways reflects this very central point is that um, there's a deep injustice that is taking place to working people throughout the world. And I come from the soil of working people and my life has been dedicated to fighting that injustice and not just fighting it in words like someone like the charlatans like Trump or Kennedy in the modern day who talk about it, these people come from the swarm. Mm -hmm. They come from the elites. Everything they do has nothing to do with having understood anything about injustice. Yeah, like working hard and getting dirty and, you know. Well, I think even more deeply, these people are the people who have created the injustice. Right. That they are the demons. Right. And the demonic nature of these people needs to be understood. It's obvious to see... um, you know, someone like Joe Biden or the Clintons or the mm-hmm. Bushes is evil. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing for people to understand, if you really want to fight injustice, is this injustice is perpetuated and run not by the obvious establishment, but by the not so obvious establishment, by the Trumps and the Kennedys um, of the world. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's been really the end lesson. And once people understand this, it's over for these people who perpetuate this. And that's really the arc of the story. So I'm sort of telling you the end of the story. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the beginning. Yeah, I definitely want to hear. But but this is the end of the story. So typically, imagine if we were telling a story and you see the end of the hero's journey, and then you're rewinding how you got to that conclusion. So the key thing to remember is that, and if you look at the life of Christ, who I admire greatly, Mm -hmm. the life of Christ was not about exposing the Romans, right? Who were the obvious establishment. But 99.9999% of Christ's life was exposing the not-so-obvious establishment, the Pharisees and Mm -hmm. the Sadducees, who spoke the words of God. Right. But were the ones who stabbed him, who actually served and crucified him. Wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. And so we live at a very important time where we need to understand not the obvious establishment. You have to wonder, okay, Hunter Biden and these people are always there. Yeah. But you notice that nothing is said about Jared Kushner, really. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is said about uh, the Kennedys or perpetuated. Elon Musk, even. Elon Musk, right? So you have the, the real demons are the people who purposefully 
cover up and make false heroes of these people like the Kennedys who are a gangster group. They murder, they kill people. Right. And then they're made to be mar martyrs and people run around thinking, oh, how did John F. Kennedy die? We should care about him. No one should give a fuck about these people. Mm -hmm. They're our enemies. But to get to that is a journey many people have to go through. Now, fortunately for me, I, you know, I think what I really want to share in this first part of this journey mm -hmm. is how did I come to that conclusion by the age of 17? Mm -hmm. And the wisdom I got to is the wisdom that I want to share with the world. Because if you're a working person and you're looking the world around you, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, left or right, but if you're a working person, you're being bamboozled typically by the not so obvious establishment. And I would say right now, more than ever in human history, the perpetuation of people like Trump and Kennedy to act like they're being attacked mm -hmm. by the establishment <clears throat> is the ruse. So let's, I think that's what we need to talk about. So you talk about where I came from, right? Mm -hmm. And what led me to that by 1984, right. uh, which is a very interesting year, um, is important to understand. So you know, I understand what injustice really is because I've had to deal with this at a deep, deep level, even to this day. Mm -hmm. And the injustice that I've had to deal with is stuff being stolen from me. Mm -hmm. The same thing that happens to working people, their labor gets stolen from them. I've had to deal with the fact that not getting credit for the actual blood and sweat you put in. Mm -hmm. In fact, right now, fucking Kennedy is being put forward in front of the subcommittee on the weaponization of government when it was I who did all the hard work exposing the weaponization of government. Mm -hmm. Why is this fool put forward in this theater as though he's fighting against the Democrats when it is he who supports censorship? He thinks Elon Musk is fighting for censorship I know, it's, yeah. when Elon Musk is a purveyor <clears throat> oh, yeah. of censorship. So everyone needs to understand that Robert fucking Kennedy, and that's what we should call him, mm -hmm. or booby effing Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, or, it's funny or when you Donald, booby. Or Donald Trump. And the reason I call them these names and they should be called these curse words is because they're the ones who have essentially possessed people mm -hmm. in a way to think they're fighting for you. Mm -hmm. And it is extremely important as Christ did to the Sadducees and the Pharisees that we expose these people because once you get over them, liberation is at hand. Right. So, you know, and that's a problem because a lot of people are attached to, to a person. It's a, you know, you see now we, we were talking about it off air it's crazy how in 20, since 2021, no one's heard of Bobby Kennedy. No one's, you know, re realistically, I'm talking about for well, presidential candidate. And then he's come out of here as, as a savior to combat Trump when realistically it's everybody's on the same team. We're just playing different games. Exactly. So let's start with that for me. And then you have this brown turd that they dug up out of so nowhere called Vivek, right? Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. a turd. Okay. Right, yeah. He's part of the establishment. Right. He comes from an oppressive group of people. And overnight, he gets articles in the New York Times, et cetera. So, you know, let's sort of re yeah, 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 <laughs> unwind my journey because. Yeah. Um, let's start back home. Let's start yeah, yeah, beginning. So, when you, where were you born? Yeah. So I was born in India. Okay. Okay. And by the way, a naturalized citizen can run for office. And that's another story. I, I was going to ask that. In. Yeah. I was going to ask and should, that. And we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we will. But, we will. Um, let's go back, if you could imagine. I know you're about 30 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. But if you could go back to a world, and I'll give you the world that I grew up in. Yeah. A friend of mine, Mitch, said, you know, once people can walk in your shoes, they will understand the righteous anger you have against these charlatans. Mm -hmm. And everyone should have that righteous anger. What's happened is to working people, these people have been fe fed like opiates mm -hmm. to quell your anger. 
for men to essentially castrate you on a fundamental level so yeah. you lose your anger. Yeah. Anger is a very, very important right. emotion that must be expressed and fueled in the right way to organize to shatter the swarm. 100% um, agree. And that's what people need to understand, that anger is a good emotion, and they want to talk about healing the divide, right? Or let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't come together. Oil and water do not mix, mm -hmm. okay? These people are our oppressors. It is us versus them. Yeah. Don't try to, you know, use Christ or some Christian uh, language because Christ actually took up a whip and he kicked the shit out of those mm -hmm. people in the temple. There is no us versus, there is an us versus them. Us versus them and trying to ameliorate that and forget the fundamental contradictions here is not going to happen until you resolve these contradictions. Right. So, you know, the contradiction I grew up with is imagine now you're a four-year-old kid. If you can close your eyes and you can imagine that. And you have a really good friend of yours and you play soccer with him and you play, you know, all different games with him. And he's your friend. Mm -hmm. And one day your friend says, oh, come on over to my house. Let me, you know, it's a hot, very hot day, maybe a hundred plus degrees in the Indian sun, summer. And, and, you're, and you're sweating, you have no water, you've played, and your friend invites you over to his home. And you're going to his home with your soccer ball in your hand, and this crazy woman, his mother comes out and starts calling you the N-word, the equivalent in, in Indian mm -hmm, language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're a child, you don't understand why, why she's so mad at you, doesn't want you to even come into her home, spits at the ground at you, and says, you stand here, brings her son in and gives you water in a dirty cup, a filthy cup, because you are a human being that is treated like a worse than a street dog that cannot come into her home. That's the experience I experienced as a four-year-old child. That's injustice. Mm -hmm. And then I had to unwind this story, this very powerful set of indignities, asking my mother, why did this woman do this? And then hearing from your mother that you were considered an un, what they called a low caste shudra, which is like the N-word. Mm -hmm. And my mother proceeded to tell me, as four-year-old now, mm -hmm. that when she used to go to the well to get water, they would chase her away like a pig. Mm -hmm. And so my mother said, we have a caste system, and we are the lowest of the low. We were supposed to be just pick coconuts the rest of our life. And other people over here are supposed to wash toilets the rest of their life. And over here, these people are just supposed to milk cows mm -hmm. the rest of their life and so on. This is called a caste system. Mm -hmm. that, I could see All the right? correlations of why you're doing what you're doing now. Right. Yeah. And that caste system was imposed in India when it was going away. by the. And I had to figure all this out many years later. Mm -hmm. um, when I came to MIT, I had to figure this out. Why was this caste system? What is this system? So I was fascinated by this, like deeply hurt, but wanted to un understand this. So as a kid, I started wanting to read books of great heroes, mm -hmm. be it Jesus Christ mm -hmm. or Rama, the great warrior, mm -hmm. or books I could get on great revolutionaries. And I started to study from the time I was eight, nine, 10, I had studied left, right wing, all these people mm -hmm. who fought against this injustice. That's what motivated me. That's what fired me up because no one should suffer that kind of indignity right. ever. And why did a system exist that was enumerated in the government laws? Is actually, you are this caste. Mm -hmm. You'll be treated like this. 
You see, so my, my parents were quite extraordinary people because my mother grew up in a household where the father ran away, which never occurs, ran away with a woman. She was nine kids. She was left essentially homeless. Mm -hmm. And as an eight-year-old, my mother had to figure out that she had to stand up <clears throat> for herself. Women talk about women's liberation. My mom became liberated, you know, and she had to get educated on her own, got a ma mathematics degree as a woman, mm -hmm. in fact, a master's in statistics, unheard of. Wow. Extraordinary woman, fighter, fierce fighter. My father grew up in war-torn Burma as a child, never saw a book. When Burma was under, you know, some people may not know, World War II, um, you know, Burma was the center point of the fight between, you know, the Nazis or the J Japanese and the allies, mm -hmm. right? So-called allies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so my father grew up in this environment where his grandfather, my great grandfather I knew was an indentured servant, a slave mm -hmm. who had left on a small quote unquote indentured slave ship as a 12 year old to make his fortune in Burma in the late 1800s. Um, and I saw him, you know, he lived up to a hundred something. Wow. So awesome. my great grandfather left there to make his fortune. He started with nothing. He worked so hard on that slave ship. The captain of that ship said, I can't hold you in bondage. You're just, inc I've never seen anyone work this hard. And he left him out of his bond. So I learned to work very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my great grandfather, you know, made his fortune in Burma when world war II came, it was just devastation everywhere. And Burma was known for two things, Buddhism and cobra, snakes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so my great-grandfather, um, they had to leave back to India. And it was a, quite an extraordinary person, a very deeply spiritual person. Your grandfather. Uh, great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. My great-grandfather, okay? And so what he did was he saw all these refugees and he took all of his land. He had hundreds of acres of land and he built homes for all the refugees and he, and he gave it away and he left. So he left with nothing from India, went to Burma, made a fortune, and came back with nothing. My dad always said you could judge a person, my great-grandfather, by how they are with money, without money, and then with money. Muhammad Ali money, said that, right? too. Yeah, how they are, right? So my dad's family literally walked back to India, okay? And then took a, most of the walk because there was, it, was, it, was, it was wartime. Yeah. And my dad said, as a child, you would live in foxholes. You would see bombs coming. People would shit in their pants. That's how dangerous it was. But my great-grandfather was a deep, deep believer in God. Mm -hmm. He would go out as bombs were falling, and he would say, nothing will harm you. You know, mm -hmm. Very, very connected. So when I grew up as a child, you know, I'd experienced this horrible caste system. And then my grandparents lived in a very small village. Imagine if you see those old movies going to deep South Mississippi, no running water, mm -hmm. you know, no electricity, dirt roads. No, yeah, trust me. My family's from Vetovo, Bulgaria. It's, it's that. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's a farm. It's been there for generations. Right. So Same no running thing. water. Yeah. Uh, toilet in the ground in the back. No even toilet in the ground. You have yeah. to go out into the woods. I mean, no, it's, it's a hole in the ground. Right. It's but I'm toilet. talking, we'd yeah. have to walk into the woods. Yeah. All right. Uh, but anyway, you, yeah, I get the, 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 idea. the, the point yeah. is that, but in that environment that I grew up in that village, um, my great-grandfather learned a lot from him. He'd get up at four in the morning. Uh, this guy was ripped mm -hmm. at 90s. 90, would work in the fields, you know, 15, 16-hour days with my grandmother, small subsistence farm. Mm -hmm. um, and my grandmother was a village healer. 
I mean, she wasn't some doctor. She had right. tattoos all over her arms, right? Chewed tobacco. And this woman, on weekends, 30, 40 people would come to the home. She would observe their face. There's an ancient Indian technique called Samudrika Lakshanam. Mm -hmm. So here as a young kid, five, six years old, I'm seeing my grandmother observe people's faces, figure out what was their constitution, mm -hmm. what was wrong in their body, just by observing the face. Mm -hmm. And she would make formulations for them. It could be meditation. Like, uh, it could be sound. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, it could be many things. Yeah, yeah. It was sound, mind, body. Right. And people I saw, don't know sound frequency. It, I think is the future. I mean, it's the past too. It's but one of the things. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not any one a huge thing. Healer. Yeah, it's, it's not any one thing. Yeah. So it's multiple things. And I saw her heal people. Mm -hmm. So how was this woman with no degrees able to heal people in the small village with dirt roads? And so that fascinated me. This ancient system of medicine. Mm -hmm. And here. You know, doctors who would get who would never come to these villages. So there's mm -hmm. another injustice here, right? Um, but the true thing was here: this woman was healing people, helping people, and she was considered the shaman in the village. My grandmother would go into trances mm -hmm. uh, in our little small home. She had, if you looked across on the walls, were pictures of Jesus Christ, pictures of Rama, pictures of Buddha, all these great deities. Because mm -hmm. the Hindu religion believes that. Uh, Jesus Christ is a Messiah, mm -hmm. right? He was sent to the world. He is a son of God, an avatar. But Hinduism also believes there are many avatars, mm -hmm. okay? So it, in, in some ways, it generalizes that concept of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, it is completely absorbing of Christ and appreciating Christ, completely believes Christ is a son of God. Um, and avatars come, right? So I grew up in that world, seeing my uh, grandmother go into uh, different states of consciousness, start channeling, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you would go into the home and there would be the smell of holy ash, like you would see in ancient um, Eastern Orthodox, you know, churches, right? right? Yeah. So it's a very beautiful environment, mm -hmm. uh, but very primitive in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the world I grew up in. And in that world, I started developing this appreciation of systems, this love of very everyday people, the love of my mother who fought against this caste system, the love of my grandmother who was able to heal people. And these people motivated my great-grandfather, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that my dad, who never saw a book until he was under a mango tree at the age of 12, and he ends up becoming a chemical engineer to one of the leading industrialists of India. Mm. And that gentleman was so moved by my dad's intelligence. My dad is raw intelligence. He could solve any problem from basic fundamentals. So here were these two extraordinary people who by any regard, because of their caste, should just be picking coconuts their entire life. That was their caste destiny. And they broke that destiny through sheer will mm -hmm. and fighting injustice. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm talking about in action, not like standing up and saying, I stand, I, I understand what you're talking about, like fucking Booby Kennedy. Yeah. That motherfucker has no idea what injustice is. Yeah. No idea, mm -hmm. okay? And everyone needs to listen to this. If you're a booby fucking Kennedy fan and I'm calling him booby fucking Kennedy, understand why I call him. And if you don't call him booby fucking Kennedy, by the end of this interview, you'll understand why he should be called booby fucking Kennedy. These people are your exploiters. They're not your liberators. So that's the, those two things were very, very moving for mm -hmm. me. So when my dad first came to the United States, you know, uh, he got uh, the opportunity to come here. In fact, he was sent here as an engineer to get training mm. from a US company. My dad was so good 
the United States company said, we can't teach you anything. You know more than us. So they invited him to come to the United States, I think 1968, 69. Mm. And think about what's going on in 1968-69. What's going on at that point is the Vietnam War. You have the civil rights movement taking mm-hmm. place, right? Um, you have sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Yeah. Um, but that's what, so my dad comes here at that time with $75 in his pocket. And they wanted my dad to stay here. And my dad was very loyal to his employer. He said, I'm not going to backstab my employer. He went back and he said, you know, they want me to come there. They were trying to recruit me. I didn't think that was right. And my dad's employer said, you know, you should go because it'll be good for your family. And that's sort of this loyalty my dad bred in us. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're loyal to people who help you. Mm-hmm. So after that, my dad came here, you know, 75 bucks in his pocket. Mm-hmm. How um, old are you at this time? I think I was six, mm-hmm. uh, 1969. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents, my, my sister, myself, and my mom didn't see my dad for a year. Mm-hmm. Legal immigration. We had to wait in line. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, in 1970, literally, we left India on December 2nd. 1963, which is my seventh birthday. Mm-hmm. I have this theory, things occur in cycles of seven. Okay? Right, yeah. Numerology. Yeah, is so we left big. on my seventh birthday, and uh, I left with shorts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, get on this TWA air flight. And I remember I'd never eaten this kind of food. I remember eating a ham sandwich. I almost threw up. I could still, to this date, taste the chemicals in that food. Mm-hmm. That's how deep it was. It was tasted like garbage. Mm-hmm. I couldn't eat any of the food. Um landed in uh john f kennedy airport kennedy the irony okay the irony all right right um a complete you guys needed to debate i i he won't debate i know he won't but that that would just be like yeah to everyone listening everyone challenge kennedy to debate me am i too dark for him (laughs) am i not qualified for him is my last name not kennedy no the reason he won't debate me is because he will be fully exposed Mm -hmm. for the fucking demon he is Mm -hmm. all right Let's continue with the story, okay? We'll keep <laughs> we'll keep doing these I, commercials I, to expose this. I feel like before you work out, you listen to like Kennedy, like quick little soundbite, and then it gets you jacked up and you just rip through a couple sets. Yeah. And by the way, I could probably do more push-ups and sit-ups and I don't take fucking steroids yeah. like this motherfucker does. And by the way, <laughs> legal steroids are going to be a $250 billion business. They have 100,000 times more of causing blood clots than the mRNA vaccine. And it's funny you mentioned that because guess who's a big advocate of it? Yeah. Your buddy, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Well, look at him. Okay. He's owned by the swarm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he's part of all this. But yeah. well, yeah. so, so now so, go yeah, back. So I, 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 TWI yeah. land, uh, you know, my, we land here. Kennedy airport. Kennedy airport, December 5th. It used to take three days to come here in those days. Mm-hmm. And you had to go up through, uh, uh what is it? Uh, uh through like, Saudi Arabia yeah. and then to, uh, well, like then to England? London. Yeah, I was and then say it was England. a long yep. flight. It wasn't like, you know, 10 hours yeah. you do now. That's like Bulgaria. You got to go from Bulgaria to England or Italy as right. a commu- and then straight right. to the U.S. So um, we land and snowing. I've never seen snow in my life. And I have shorts on. And my dad meets us and I'm saying, I asked my dad, I remember this, why did you bring us here? And one word, he said, freedom. Mm-hmm. That is why my parents came here. Freedom. By the way, which has been destroyed now by Trump and the Congress. These people, you'll realize, hate this country. Mm-hmm. Trump hates this country. Fucking Kennedy hates this country. All the elites hate this country. They may wave the fucking flag. They may put a fucking MAGA hat on their heads. But it was in November 16th, 2018, the entire United States Congress unanimously voted 
to pass a law which abridges the freedom of speech of every American called the creation of CISA, mm -hmm. the Cybersecurity Infrastructure mm -hmm. Security Agency. Remember the First Amendment, what my dad talked about, freedom. The First Amendment is what makes America, America. Mm -hmm. And that says Congress, Congress, which is a legislative branch, shall pass no law, which means they're not supposed to do any laws which will abridge freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Which they have which in Which they did, and, and the motherfucker who signed it was Trump. Mm -hmm. And all these Trumpers, well, he didn't read the things. He didn't know what he was signing. Well, then he shouldn't be fucking president. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Go back and play golf all day, all right? Mm -hmm. Go back and try to be a C-list actor. Tony liked that one. But that is what happened. Yeah. And go look at the record, the congressional record. Every House of Representatives, 450 plus people, unanimously voted for SISA. And I wonder why. Unanimous consent because they hate this country. Of course. And then now you have one of their guinea pigs, Elon Musk, buying Twitter and everybody thinks it's freedom of speech. Exactly. But you have to understand that opposite. I'm the one who exposed that. There's a diagram there that I was the one in our lawsuit in 2020 mm -hmm. who worked my butt off who exposed the entire censorship infrastructure we got a federal injunction and they try to hijack the work i did that's what they're putting booby fucking kennedy that's why i hate this guy he knows what he's doing and all of congress will not put me in testimony because i will expose the fact congress is the one that did this law mm -hmm. but anyway so you go back to getting off this plane <laughs> as a kid no coming from india with this caste system Studying, I mean, India, in India, they study these little comic books, not comic books of stupid Marvel heroes, but comic books of great revolutionaries. Mm. There's a guy called Subhash Chandra Bose who wanted to actually raise an army to violently kick the British out of India. I thought that was fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. They deserved some violence drawn upon them, I right? I think so. Like yeah. Christ put some violence into those people, right? Pharisees, yeah. Um, I didn't like Gandhi. Gandhi seemed like a pussy. Mm -hmm. Okay. My heroes were people like that. Mm -hmm. I read, you know, um, little comic books of people that were just emerging on the scene, right? Uh, great fighters, right? Freedom fighters. These mm -hmm. guys were fucking cool. Yeah. They wanted to kick some ass. Yeah. Right? Not, And they weren't treated as, oh, well, you should not beat the shit out of your enemy. No, this was, these were little Indian comic books. Very mm -hmm. interesting comic books. Yeah, it's very cool. And they influenced me. Yeah. So I come with that story. I come with my grandmother with shorts. And after we land, you know, this is, we settled in Patterson, New Jersey. Mm. Still to this day, one of the poorest cities in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so think about this Indian family moves to the United States and think about the scene. If Again, if you could close your eyes mm -hmm. now. This is the United States of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Vietnam is taking place. You turn on the TV, black and white TV. Yep. We got one from the Salvation Army. You <laughs> see soldiers being butchered, okay? When the press was allowed to go film on the front right, lines, I know. people with their all, legs blown off, yeah. okay? On TV every day, body bags coming. Mm -hmm. You see riots of uh, police beating the shit out of demonstrators, mm -hmm. okay? You see pictures of people protesting in the civil rights movement, right? That's what I grew up in, mm -hmm. all right? And I'm here in Patterson, New Jersey, which is predominantly all segregated blacks. Mm -hmm. And we're considered quote unquote, brown, black, okay, mm -hmm. yeah. in this world. Um, the I'm in second grade. The school systems are tough. You have to learn how to fight because mm -hmm. people want to fucking start fights. Yeah, You're yeah. the outsider yeah, yeah. coming from nowhere, right? Yeah. Um, it wasn't I was white and yeah. I wasn't black. I was yeah. brown, Yeah. right? So Everyone was, picked on you. Yeah, everyone picked on us, but you learned how to fight. Yeah. Um, 
and that's Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah. You have those huge cars, you know, if you remember those big fin cars. Um, and uh, when we came, we didn't have any clothes. We didn't prepare. A wonderful uh, African-American woman took us to the Salvation Army, where it's free stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you got all your clothes, mm -hmm. books. Uh, and that's how our life started, right? By these very loving people who helped us. Mm -hmm. um, interesting enough, my dad, when he had arrived here in 69, he didn't have a place to stay. He was walking down the street and met a guy called Jesse Jenkins, who was a, uh, uh, a bass player, mm. right? Old man. And he let my dad stay in his home, which was a dusty home my dad, dad describes, music all around. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very close friends with an interracial couple. The husband was black and the woman was white. He was a principal of a school. And we ended up going to something called Thanksgiving to their homes, mm -hmm. right? And so here's this very, which an interracial couple was unheard of at that mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when he died, they named the school after him. It's called Carter High School. I think it's in Wayne, New Jersey. Mm. I went for 30, 40 years for, and they were deeply devout Christians. You know, people would pray before a meal. Um, so this was this environment, early formative years in this interracial world, Vietnam, protests in the streets, mm -hmm. right? In some ways, chaos, but it's no different than the chaos I grew up in Bombay. Mm -hmm. So I felt at home. Mm -hmm. And then my parents realized, wow, we came to America for our kids to get an education. Patterson, they're never going to get educated except our son getting in fights all the time. So we went to move to Clifton, New Jersey, because, you know, in the United States, my parents could never afford private schools. But my mother hated private school. She thought it was like a segregation. She never believed in this bourgeois shit. Mm -hmm. Booby fucking Kennedy went to private schools. Mm -hmm. Trump went to private of schools. Of course. And Tony went to private schools. Booby Kennedy couldn't make it out of his private school. He got yeah. tossed out. He spit in policemen's faces. Wow. His I pop. His no, pop, I did not. And by the way, if any one of us were to do it, you'd be in jail. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be here. Right. Booby Kennedy couldn't even make it out of high school. And he, somehow he gets into Harvard. Why? Because Papa called Harvard up. Mm -hmm. All right. So think about everyone. Booby fucking Kennedy is not one of us. Yeah. If you want to go philander with 20, 38 women while your wife hangs herself, if you want to go smoke heroin all day, if you want to come from a family where your uncle murders a woman right here and gets away with it, that's who they are. They're not one of us. They're surely not one of me or mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Or anyone in this room. Yeah. All right? So... My parents moved to another town called Clifton, New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, more of an integrated town, still very poor town, public school system. And I did second to fourth grade there. But you see, I had incredible teachers. I had a third grade teacher who taught me how to write, mm -hmm. expository writing at the age of three. I, I, sorry, in third grade. And she had a writing. I will never forget that she gave a writing assignment. And she held up my thing. She goes, Shiva did this writing assignment beautifully because it was a concept of a thesis statement, mm -hmm. the concept of making points on your thesis and expanding. By the way, very few people today even learn expository writing. It's crazy. I learned this at third grade. Yeah. So I know how to write. I know how to make an argument, but it was Mrs. Hall. She taught me that at third grade. Mm -hmm. So we had incredible. And then in fourth grade, we had an amazing teacher who was into Eastern and Western meditation. Mm. And when I left that school, she did a wonderful party for me, you know, um, and then we moved to the next town called Lake Hiawatha, New Jersey. You see, my parents kept moving to the better. They'd make money. Right, they, they'd go to the better elevated. school system, yeah. right? So in uh, Lake Hiawatha, 
you know, I, uh, that's where I, I, uh, 75. Okay. And this is what age now? I'm sorry. I think I must be 12. Okay. Okay. okay? I just want to. So now this is seven, five years after I've been in the United States and my dear mom's mother is dying. Mm. So me and my mom take off from school, um, because she wanted me to be with her mm -hmm. and we go back to India for about, I think three months. Mm -hmm. She was taking care of her mother. I went back to my village where my grandparents are. And that's when you see, wow, the this huge difference. Yeah. Wait a minute. I had like cars, yeah, electricity, yeah, paved roads, mm -hmm. right? Running water where you have a toilet that you flush. Yeah. And here I'm back. There's no paved roads. There's freaking cobras out there you gotta be yeah. careful of. Yeah. You gotta go into the woods to take a shit. <laughs> right. Um, but it's a beautiful you 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 go up and you look up at the stars like you've never seen before. Yeah, you find God in places like that. Yeah, yeah, and everyone, you can walk the streets at any time. People yeah. love you, Yeah, right? And that experience is when I realize this massive difference in wealth. My grandparents have no shoes, mm -hmm. right? My grandmother works in the field. She's got leeches on her feet, mm -hmm. you know, 16 hours. And I, and then that end of that trip, my grandparents come to a train station to see me off. And these are these old caboose trains, mm -hmm. like you see out of the Wild West. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking through the window and I see my grandparents, my grandfather, I can still see them. Yeah. And my grandfather and my grandmother crying because deep love, like I know. they may never see me. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I right? dude, I mean, she's yeah. I could cry thinking, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. In twenty sixteen was the first time I'd seen my dad's side of my parents my grandparents in wanna say fifteen years. And it was like coming to a parade. I didn't, you know what I mean? Right. And at the end of the line of people was just my grandparents just, like you said, bawling. Right. You know? and, and these people have very little, but they give everything they have. So you, re yeah. you realize this immense love for these people. And you realize that those same people, whatever money they had, they educated my father, mm -hmm. right? Like how little they had, but they had this deep, deep love, mm. this deep sense of honor. Um. You know, when my uncle came back to that village, he became a doctor and he came to my grandmother for blessings. Hmm. And my grandmother asked him one question. She said, if someone poor comes to you and they have no money, will you heal them? Are you going to charge them? And she goes, no, no, I'll heal them. Because medicine was supposed to be you never charge. Yeah. Not one penny mm -hmm. since she gave him her blessings. Um, but this was this ethos, right? That life was very ephemeral that you were here for service and it was yeah. a direct connection to God. Right. Period. So it's a very it's it's a it's a life that I think very few people experience. I was very very fortunate to get that. But I remember looking through that that window and still I can see it and I'm realizing shit. If I don't do something with my life that helps these people and it's why is it they're living my aunt is living in a four foot by four foot hut. Why is it they have so little, yet they have bigger hearts than anyone I've ever seen? And so that deep connection, and I remember I can, as a chill went through my spine for my, you could call it for my crown chakra yeah. to my base. Yeah. And the decision was that I would become something to destroy this fucking injustice. Mm -hmm. Period. Love it. And that's at the age of 12. So when I got back that year, I decided I, I would fucking excel at everything. Yeah. Became a great baseball player. You know, people said I could have gone to the majors, became a great soccer player, but I could, I, be, I finished all of the calculus mathematics by the age in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. 
I would really like to go ask Booby fucking Kennedy how hard he worked. <laughs> I don't think he's still. No, really. It. You have to look at these people's lives. Yeah. What was fucking Trump doing? Yeah. And we know John F. Kennedy had venereal disease by that age. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have to really look at these people's lives. To gauge the whole person. Yeah. These people were given everything. Yeah. And I knew that there was no fallback. There was no golden parachute. I can go spit in a policeman's face like mm -hmm. Booby fucking Kennedy. Mm -hmm. No one was, there was going to be no parachute for mm -hmm. me. I had to rely on myself and I had to do good for the suffering of my parents, my grandparents, and those teachers mm -hmm. who did so much for me. And by the way, many of the teachers in the 1970s would hold three jobs. Mm -hmm. They weren't like teaching wasn't, there's no teacher's fucking union. Okay? Yeah. yeah. They did that because they love teaching. Exactly. There's so not my, many teachers like that no, anymore. My eighth grade teacher, a uh, guy called Mr. Summers, mm -hmm. he let us advance as much as we could. So I finished up calculus by the time ninth grade. My high school has no more math courses. Um, another incredible woman comes, a woman called Stella Alexiak. She just passed away about five years ago at the age of 93. Mm. She said, Jesus, this kid, there's no more math courses. There's no more science courses. So she created the concept of independent study, which was unheard of in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And she set up a program where I could get a job while I was finishing up my humanities courses. Um, and we were looking for different jobs I could do, but I needed skills. Interesting enough, in 1977, 78, an article came out in a small newspaper. And my mom now is working as a mathematician in a, uh, you know, in a school. Mm -hmm. And um, a friend of her gives her this article. And in the article, they say in New York that there was a professor at New York University called Henry Mullish, whose recent memorial I did a couple of years ago uh, in Israel. And Henry Mullish was going to select 40 students, 40 students who would get to come to New York University. This is 1978 yeah. mm. and learn computer science. Now, in those days, a, a, a computer would fill up this entire yeah, room. Yeah, I know, I know. And um, 40 students in the United States in a competitive uh, model. Rapidly growing. It was just starting. Yeah, Computers just starting. Were just yeah. starting. But he had the vision. He realized that one day we would need software engineers. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy was a visionary. Mm -hmm. And so 40 students were going to be selected. And you had to apply, you had to get recommendation letters, you had to submit your grades, you had to be the top of the top of the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was only open to 16 year olds. I was 14, okay? I think 13 and a half, 14. Mm -hmm. So we applied, people wrote letters saying why I should be able to submit, and I get accepted. And I was the only Indian kid from New Jersey. And so how do I get to New York? Um, so my mom would drop me off if you've been to Newark mm -hmm. at this train station called the uh, Newark Penn Station. Mm -hmm. And I would take the train into New York as a 14-year-old child. Mm -hmm. Most parents are so protective of their children, they won't even let them walk down the street right now. Yeah. And uh, Well, so to be fair, I mean, these 14-year-olds aren't capable of it, sadly. Yeah. So I would get to take that train ride Eight, you know, dropping me off at 6 a.m., arrive in, you know, about 7.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. It was an intense, it was like a Navy SEAL training program because they selected these very smart kids. Mm -hmm. And um, seven, six, seven programming languages, digital circuit theory. This is in 78. Mm -hmm. Worked on a supercomputer. 
and graduated number one in that class. Mm. Okay. Won the honors award. You can, it's all documented. Yeah. And uh, that's when this teacher, this independent studies teacher really loved and cared about me. And that's the kind of teachers we used to have. Mm-hmm. She said, this kid can't go to waste. He, we got to figure something out for him. So I ended up getting a job at, in Newark, in a local medical college, where they hired me as a full-time research fellow at the age of 14, a guy called Dr. Les Michelson. And the agreement was that they would teach me, treat me like an adult. Mm-hmm. There were people minimum 30 years older than me, mm-hmm. right? 44. The oldest guy was like in his 60s, a physicist. And this was in a small medical college where the computing was just coming. People were starting to use computers in medicine. And I get given the opportunity to work among these illustrious people. I'd go in with my briefcase, dressed up clean, had my own desk. And I really want you to ask what the fuck was Trump and Kennedy doing at that age? (laughs) Yeah. And I really want you guys to walk in my shoes. This is a hardworking kid, man. Mm -hmm. But to me, this was an amazing opportunity that could only happen in America. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Michelson believed in meritocracy, saw my grades, A pluses and everything. I worked my butt off because I had no fallback. I didn't have a Kennedy name. I didn't have my father who was running slumlords like Trump. Mm -hmm. Okay. My parents were hard working class people. So I had to also be hard working better than them. Give you my lifestyle starting at the age of 12. I'd go to bed at 2 Mm a.m. I'd wake up at seven, five hours of sleep. You'd come home. I'd work my butt off from sports, work until two in the morning, doing all my problem sets, right? Wake up at seven, do that whole process. And so I typically still to this day need five hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Something, my circadian rhythms got set at a very young age. Yeah. During 2020, when I was fighting all this, it probably went down to three hours. Mm, I bet. All right. But I learned also when I came back from India, how to meditate. Mm-hmm. I learned how to connect with God, pray and meditate. I could. Can you elaborate on that more, please? Because so when I, feel I went like back in 1975. understand that at all. Um, my great, uh, my grandfather taught me how to meditate. Meditate. You see, prayer is always begging to God for something. Mm-hmm. Meditation is where you listen to God. Mm-hmm. You listen. Yes. And you get intuition. You get Downloads. your direction. You get your mission in life. Yeah. And you get connected. So I learned how to do that at a very young age. To give you an idea how very interesting this was, from the age of 12 to 16, it was it was many of these sages or saints talk about these extraordinary experiences. To tell you the fact, I've had all of those. Mm-hmm. And I don't talk about them. Um, when people say they've seen the universe in your body, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. When people talk about the seven heavens, I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time I'm sharing a lot of this. I appreciate it. But, uh, Thank you. In those days, when you develop, Christians call it the Christ mind. The Christ consciousness. Yeah. You could see things. Yeah. And it was a very interesting world to grow up in because I could literally, the, this world became like deja vu. Mm because everything was a movie being played out. Right. And I had to actually stop meditating for a while because it became, I could predict everything that was about to occur. Mm. But I knew that you could do, that when you did that, you were in harmony with what God wanted you to do. Right. In a very powerful way, which was to work hard and ultimately the goal was service. Yes. I learned this at a very, very young age. So by the time I was 14, I'm working full-time at a medical school here, by that time, my parents had moved to Livingston, New Jersey. <laughs> to give you an idea what Livingston, New Jersey is, now listen very carefully, it's where Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner lived. Okay. It's where Chris Christie mm-hmm. 
was a catcher on my baseball team who's now running for president. And he wasn't that fat. He wasn't a fat fuck then, okay? <laughs> but uh, I was a pitcher, okay? Our team, our, you can look it up, yeah. won 13-0 and 0 in a very high division, probably the number one division uh, team. So I was center halfback. What's so, your favorite baseball team? At that, those days, I liked the Yankees. There we okay? go. But it was the Yankees of the 70s, not yeah. the steroid-ridden no, Yankees of course, of course, Rodriguez. Of course. Just had okay? to ask, yeah. Chris Chambliss, Greg Nettles, yeah. these are my heroes, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, what you have to understand is, so Livingston, New Jersey, now put your hat on. Going from Patterson, mm -hmm. then to Clifton, yeah. then to, and then my parents move into this because they wanted me to, again, public school. There was a private school. We didn't go to that. Yeah. And I remember moving to Livingston. I felt so out of place. All these people were wealthy. Yeah. The kids had cars. We yep. had nothing. Mm -hmm. My parents had a pretty modest home. And it's predominantly all Jewish. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Jewish people think they're the chosen people of God. Yeah. Um, I would see my Jewish friends who were like normal kids go to Israel and come back wanting to kill every fucking Arab. Mm. I was like, what the fuck just happened to my friend? <laughs> yeah. I became a fucking fanatic. Yeah. I mean, a normal 15-year-old kid coming like, hey, buddy, back to see, Israel. See you at the end of summer. Wanted to annihilate yeah. and burn the shit out of Palestinians. I said, this is fucked up. Yeah. Now, it is fucked up, Okay. So 4,000 kids in my high school, one of about 800, 900 students, and I would win every award. Mm. I was uh, American Legion, Jersey, Boy State. They select two kids. You have to be an athlete and a good student. I got selected. Mm -hmm. um, I got 800s on my SATs. And we didn't have tutors like Bobby fucking Kennedy gives his children mm -hmm. or Trump gets his children. I just do all the exams. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it was a problematic for some of the Jewish mothers. I'll give you a very interesting story. Yes. So remember, I'm meditating. I'm working hard. There was a mathematics, you know, the school at the end of the year gives um, awards out. So that year, uh, and my and my mom was wanted me to win all these awards, right? Because she really, it, it, right? Because she came from nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, that year I win the mathematics award. I win the number one student award. So in the student auditorium, the teacher gets up. Now, the night before, my mom was supposed to come to that award sermon. She had a horrible accident, was hit head on by a car. All of her teeth are knocked out. She's in ICU. Oh, my God. So me and my dad very, very sadly go to this award ceremony. The teacher of the school gets up, Mr. Summer, and he goes, you know, typically we give the award to two kids. But in my 36 years here, there's no one that came close to Shiva. Mm. No one. And he goes, he's not only won the best student award, but also the Mats award, standing ovation. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I had visualized that in my third eye the year before. Nice. So it's like a dream. Yeah. So I get the awards, but it's a very sad moment because my mom's in the ICU and I wanted her to be there. Yeah. I get the award. I'm walking out of the student auditorium and this crazy fucking Jewish mother comes running up to me and says, your fucking son, this doesn't mean anything. My son, Eric Greenberg, could have done that, but Eric chose not to work this year. And I'm like looking at this. I'm saying, what the fuck? Yeah. The jealousy, yeah. the anger. Yeah. Pure, unadulterated jealousy and anger at the fact that I had worked so hard and that I had been recognized. Mm -hmm. Now, the year before, let me give you another story. I had aced all my classes. This is in seventh grade. Every class, A+. Plus. The school teachers decide to hold an exam 
to decide who's the best student. I already mm -hmm. won everything. Yeah. So they have an exam and I'm not invited to participate in the exam. Just like I'm not invited to fucking yeah. debate. Just yeah. like I'm not invited to the Senate subcommittee hearings. And all you fucking guys, you all old white boys who sit on the goddamn mm -hmm. judiciary committee, I'm calling you old white boys. Yeah. That's why people call you fucking racist. Yeah. That is racist. Yeah. It's classist, it's racist, and it's not only classist because you're telling all the working class kids. So you see, I've had to deal with this fucking thing all my life. Mm -hmm. Because they're jealous of people who actually work hard. Yeah. They're jealous of people who actually do the work. Right. These people don't do any work and they try to steal credit. So they wouldn't let me participate in the fucking exam. <laughs> you guys listening to that? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I fucking hate Kennedy, because yeah. he knows what he's doing. The fucking guy's never worked a hard day in his life. Yeah. They don't let me participate in my exam. I'm home. My parents are seeing me upset. My mom says, What happened? It was PTA night. My mom had just worked a 16-hour night. They get in the car. They go to see that teacher, and they go, why isn't my son allowed to participate? They don't have an answer. And my dad's like, do you know you're going to create a Hitler out of my son? Mm -hmm. He's going to hate all of you. And they go, what did you say? That's anti-Semitic. My dad said, you're going to create a fucking Hitler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They let me participate. I ace it a win. But to all of you listening, <laughs> now they don't have one. I have had to deal with the fact that I worked hard and did the good things, maybe because I'm born in this color skin, maybe they're just so fucking jealous. I think it's a fear thing, you know? You, I mean, if you know, you, people who are educated, who could articulate things, who have the facts to back them, I mean, like you said, it's you'd, much be, more you'd simpler be exposing. Than, it's people. much more simpler than that. They hate people who work hard. Yeah. They hate America. Mm. America was built on people who worked their butt off. And they think there's a free ride. They think you're going to get success because of your name, of some neighborhood you live in, and you can get a free ride. And you have to understand, when I grew up in Jersey, I grew up among hardworking Italian immigrants. Mm -hmm. When I learned, I did landscaping. I made money landscaping. I made money painting homes as a child. Mm -hmm. I was trained by a Yugoslavian painter. You paint mm -hmm. a trim, you better paint it fucking right. I know. Yeah. You paint, you, cut, a, right. you, you cut the hedges, you better cut it and clean up all the raking yeah. of all the material. And these people would get so pissed if you didn't do that right. Mm -hmm. Demanding people who had excellence. That's these people taught me. These people were my great teachers. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I did a, a work, I did it with perfection. Mm -hmm. I did it with excellence, not for me because I'd hear their voices. I'd hear their toil, how much they suffered to get to what they had. It was in honoring those people. Mm -hmm. But Anyway, so seventh grade, you have that incident. Yeah. And then you have this incident, this crazy woman. Yep. Literally telling me, my son, Eric, could have won that award, but he chose not to work hard this year. Just think about the looter. And yeah. this is not, this is a adult. Yeah. And then, so I, you know, I was more concerned about my mom. We went to the ICU. I didn't even share my mom the award. I was more concerned about her. Mm -hmm. But this is a level of injustice I grew up around. Yeah. This kind of bullshit every day. Well, I got a job, full-time job as a 14-year-old kid working at that medical school in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Renee's probably been to Newark. Oh, yeah. Most white people are still afraid to go into Newark. In the mm -hmm. parking lot, people get mugged. Mm -hmm. I wasn't afraid, right? I would take the bus down, right, into Newark. I would work a full eight-hour, sometimes 12-hour, sometimes 16-hour days. Mm -hmm. Then I'd go back, and I had to do my humanities courses. And initially, I was given a job 
of using the computer with advanced algorithms, mathematics, mathematics that people learn in PhD level that I was developing to understand why babies were dying in their sleep. I had sleep data of baby sleep patterns, and I was creating predictive algorithms, which you'd call AI today. Mm -hmm. We just called them Haar and Walsh transforms, pattern recognition algorithms. This is, again, 1978. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I ended up discovering some very powerful ways to describe, predict when a child would suddenly stop breathing. Mm -hmm. Many years later, I wrote a paper on this. Did that before MIT, mm -hmm. okay? In Newark, New Jersey, where nothing is supposed to come out of, in a small <laughs> medical school. Sorry, it's just funny. Okay? The point is, the people I worked around were amazing people. Yep. I had loving parents and a teacher. It was in that triangle of love, collaboration, right? People caring. And hard work. Hard work. Freaking, I'd work until two in the morning, like mm -hmm. I said. That's where I discovered sudden infant death syndrome, the fundamentals of it. And in that place, in Newark, New Jersey, I was given another challenge. And many of you guys who are 30, uh, you know, in your 30s may not remember that the if you looked in any institution in those days, any large organization or small or large, how did people communicate? Well, they surely didn't have the cell phone. Mm -hmm. Faxes were just coming, but they had the thing called the inter-office mail system. You know, and the inter-office mail system was a very powerful system. It was a paper-based mail system where every secretary in every little office interconnected set of offices connected by pneumatic tubes, mm -hmm. little tubes that go from office to office. And every office had a secretary, always a woman, because women could only be a secretary, a teacher, or a mother, or a nurse in those days. Mm -hmm. And this woman had on her desktop a very particular box called the inbox. It was made of metal. Mm -hmm. Another box called the outbox. Another box called drafts. Three pieces, sometimes they were wooden or metal. Sound familiar, folks? Then a physical desk called a desktop. Mm -hmm. Underneath that desktop was a um, trash can. Okay? <laughs> On top of that desk was little paper clips. Wow. You getting the story? Oh, I'm hearing it. And then you had a thing called a typewriter. Mm -hmm. Up until, you know, 1982, I'd use a typewriter. Mm -hmm. And she would type something called a memo. Mm. The boss would come up to her and say... Charlotte, take this message. <laughs> yeah. And she'd have to listen. And you go, da-da-da-da-da, to Dr. Blah, from Dr. Michelson, mm -hmm. subject, hiring of John Medlar, right? Uh, attachment, let's attach his resume, mm -hmm. and write to the head of HR, dear Dr. Blah, we're thinking of hiring John, attaches his resume, please tell me what you think, please review it. And then he would CC, carbon copy, five other people who John would be invited for an interview, and maybe he would BCC his boss. CC literally meant you take a paper, take a carbon paper, attach another paper, type it. So if you had to do six CCs, yeah. you'd, she'd have to type the thing five times. Right. Right. Paper one, paper two, paper, so on. All right. And then after she did it, she would put it in the drafts folder. The, the doctor would redline it. She would have to go a couple of iterations when it was ready. The memo would go in an envelope, mm -hmm. addressed tied in and put into these pneumatic tubes, which shot out. Sometimes a local postman would come, the inner office postman, take it out. You could do registered mail. This is a complex system. Yeah, It's not just, yeah. now those old mainframes, you could do simple text messages, like little text messages. That's not what we're talking about. No, I was asked to convert this entire system. No one had done this in human history before. Mm -hmm. This entire system into the electronic version. 
And people thought this was impossible. In fact, doctors are going, ah, why are you, why are you wanting to do that? I love just using, you yeah, know, I my bet. secretary, just tell her what to do. You want to make me a secretary? Is that what you want to do, kid? Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of I way they attack me, right? Yeah, yeah. I love these women who are, I had great respect for them. I had to write down all those features. If you go to inventoroftheemail.com, you'll see everything's documented. Then I had to write all the code for that in a language called Fortran in eight kilobytes of memory. I had to write the memory management, work with the old HP operating system. And I wrote 50,000 lines of code as a 14-year-old kid mm -hmm. to transport this entire paper-based system, not just a simple exchange of text messages, which goes back to Samuel Morris, in this environment, which had a network environment between Newark, Piscataway, they had different computers, and created and named that system email. In 50,000 lines of code, I captured every one of those features because these secretaries were going to leave the physical inter-office mail system to the electronic unless it had all those features. Mm -hmm. Inbox, outbox, folders, BCC, yeah. CC, registered mail. First time anyone in human history had done that. It was done by a 14-year-old kid in Newark, New Jersey. And I named that system email, a term that I created. So not only did I create the code, I also created the term to name that system. If you created something called a car with the motor, the engine, you called it car, you're the inventor of the car, right? Correct, yeah. It's plain and simple. Plain and simple. There's no even a Question controversy. About it. Yeah, yeah. All right? Except unless- So what's the controversy with you? There now? is no you... controversy. It gets even more interesting. I won the, one of the Westinghouse Science Awards, which was a, considered the baby Nobel Prizes of the day. Mm. They selected 300 kids in those days out of hundreds of thousands of kids. Was in the local newspaper. I won it. And then I come to MIT. Now, how did I know about MIT? You see, I went to this all Jewish high school predominantly where Jewish people think, unfortunately, nothing against them, mm -hmm. but they think they're the chosen people. Mm -hmm. You would think my high school, here I'm winning the math awards, I'm the number one kid, get 800s on my SATs. Mm -hmm. You would think they, someone would have told me about MIT, <clears throat> the number one institution in the world for math, science, technology. Can you believe no one told me about MIT? Jealousy, huh? You add it up. Yeah. So anyway, how did this happen? Because surely if it was for them, I would never have gone to them. I would never even known about it. Mm -hmm. I wanted actually, I applied, I think, to Stevens Institute of Technology, which is a local uh, state university, and I think Princeton, which was in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And after inventing email, I was sort of not burned out, but I wanted to do art, believe mm. it or not, and design. I loved art. Mm. I have a degree in art, by the way, master's in art. But uh my mother was always helping people. These two Indian women, one of them was thrown out by her husband, was literally homeless, didn't have a place to stay. She saw them at the local shopping mall and they were very upset. She said, look, we have a small house, but we have a one room there we don't use, you can stay there. So these two women stay there and they had a friend who was this wacky sort of mathematician guy. And he had heard about me and he came to our home and he said, you should apply to this place called Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And he brought the manual with the dome. And I said, what's that? And I thought it was a mental institute. It looked, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, and yeah, I had yeah. no interest. It looked, because it, it seemed so ominous, like yeah, this yeah. big dome, you know, for a kid. And I, and I didn't want to go. Um, I had no interest. Mm -hmm. Two weeks before the application is due, it comes again. And he says, please fill this out. So to spite him, I take a pencil and I fill it out. In those days, you had to do a cartoon character too. MIT wanted, so I drew Beetle Bailey. It was this interesting character. Anyway, cool. I get accepted. Can you still draw? I can, yeah. yeah. Well, do you, you do saw it? me draw this swarm diagram, right? Yeah, you're, yeah that's yeah. true. 
I'm so, talking, yeah, yeah. So I went to, uh, I got accepted to MIT, and you had to come in for orientation. Well, you had to come in to visit the school. I came to visit MIT, and I thought, these fucking people look crazy. Mm. These nerds look nuts. And mm. I was into athletics. Yeah, athletics. Right? And you know, I was You're well-rounded. Well-rounded, but these people look like nuts. They, yeah. uh, a guy looked like a nerd. They had twitches. They were carrying like these huge backpacks. They can't on their look back. you in the eye. Yeah, they couldn't look. Yeah, this, and I said, this place is fucking crazy. I'm not going here, right? And then my teacher, my physics teacher, who, by the way, to tell you how Jewish my high school was, <laughs> she had the Holocaust. She was in the Holocaust. Oh, my god! She had those the, the, numbers, yeah. tattoos on her arm. Oh, wow. Okay? Yeah. And she said, oh, Shiva, you should must go to MIT. Yeah. And I go, why? She goes, my son is there. Now she tells me your son is there. Oh, my God. And then she says, and I realized why in retrospect, because the school would get points. Yeah. Because they get rated higher. Yeah, exactly. exactly so now course. it was a selfish thing that I go to MIT because they get ratings. Yeah. Oh, we have another okay. student that went to MIT. Got, exactly. And I said, I'm not interested. She goes, well, you will like Boston. It's a city. I said, that's pretty cool because I love Bombay. Mm -hmm. I love these fucking crazy cities. Yeah. Right? I love that. So that's the reason <laughs> I came. I fell in love with Boston. And, you know, to sort of end, wrap this up, let me just sort of tell you that. So by the time I came to MIT, I had invented email. Mm -hmm. I had seen a lot in my life. Mm -hmm. I had learned politics. I'd studied all these systems. I had a deep appreciation for uh, revolutionary leaders. I'd studied Thomas Paine. Mm -hmm. I'd studied Che Guevara. I'd read the mm. works of Lenin. I'd read the works of Marx. I read the works of John Locke. Think about that. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming in as a freaking revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I, I understood all this shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't have to, I didn't actually, fr frankly, even need to come to MIT. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in my first computer science course. I went to sleep. It was so fucking, it's like a mechanic who builds a car and is sitting in a mechanical engineering course learning about a piston. It's like, you know how to build a piston. And all these fucking nerds are teaching this class. They look crazy, mm -hmm. talking with these nasally voices with twitches like they're <laughs> fucking nuts, yeah. right? And I already know how to program. It was that kind That's of thing. Tough. So it didn't motivate me. Yeah. But I was interested in systems. Mm -hmm. Like how, why was there oppression in the world? Why the fuck was I given that water when I was a kid, right? And um, so I'm playing, you know, I was on the varsity soccer team. And this random guy sees me playing, and he was a very interesting guy. He was like a revolutionary himself. And he had, he had uh, learned that I had become student body president that year. So freshman year, I get elected student body president. It's very interesting what I did, and this is where he came to hear about me. MIT has this thing called a brass ring, right? Every, I never got any of this. You'll see all these MIT guys, oh, I got the brass rat, right? And they wear their ring. So I was on the freshman student body president, and there's a ring committee. Okay, so these- Lord of the Rings? I'm joking. No, 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 no. no they, they're the ones joking. who decide yeah. the design on the ring, yeah. on the MIT brass yeah. rat. All right. So now everyone on the ring committee gets a free ring. Everyone else has to pay like 300 bucks. I'm like, this is fucked up. I said, you're, you're accepting corruption. Yeah. Remember, I'm only like 17 years old. Yeah, yeah. So I like saying, there's no fucking way this should be allowed. I get- I got thrown out of being freshman body president for arguing with them. Basically, they were teaching kids corruption yeah, already. at fucking 17 years yeah. old. Now, in December of 1981, remember this very vividly, yeah. I was invited to the president of MIT's home, his mansion. It was Christmas, and they had invited the different student leaders. And he had heard that I had invented email because it was on the front page of MIT. 
No one had a problem with this. September, you can look at it, September 1981, the MIT newspaper said, we have three amazing kids out of the 1,041. Remember, hundreds of thousands of kids applied to MIT. Mm -hmm. MIT accepted, you know, 1% of them, 1,000. Mm -hmm. And I'm out of that 1,000, the three people are highlighted. So just to let you know, everyone, I did my fucking work. Yeah. So I'm the 0.3% out of a thousand kids out of the 1% of people get accepted, but very humble. I saw the thing, Hey, we have the top three out of the thousand get to MIT out of the hundred thousand you applied. Okay. But you know, I was taught to be a humble kid, but I'm no more fucking humble anymore. And when you say I'm arrogant, I say, fuck you. I have to fight for credit, not for me, mm -hmm. but all those people who supported me to build what I did, to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. And that's who I fight for. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't walked in my shoes, when I claim credit for the things I've done, it took me 40 years to claim credit because I realized if I don't do that, I'm a scumbag because mm -hmm. I'm basically doing injustice to all those people. So I go to Paul Gray, who's the president of MIT, he was on Reagan Science Council, quite an incredible guy. And he said, Shiva, you invented email. He goes, it's too bad the Supreme Court is not recognizing software patents. But he told me there was a new law that was passed, the Computer Act of 1980, which let you use copyright law to protect software inventions. So I applied for the paperwork from the United States Copyright Office, filled it out. And John, we may have one of those, right? One of those copyrights. Yeah. Um, and on August 30th, 1982, I had to send in all the code. I had to prove everything. It wasn't just like you fill the <laughs> it's copyright. It's me. Yeah, yeah. Name, date. All right. Yeah, that's why it wasn't just putting a little C. It was very difficult. You had to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And August 30th, 1982, a 17-year-old boy, teenager, mm -hmm. gets recognized by the United States government as the official inventor of email. I have the copyright, which is like a patent. I have the code. I named it email. Yeah. Um, so, cool. and, and to those people, and so here it is, okay? So now, do I have to be white and does my last name need to be Einstein? <laughs> and do I have to have blue eyes and blonde hair? Yeah. There's no fucking controversy. That's, yeah, this is great. Okay? No, this is awesome. So, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's de facto. Now, if I were a white dude and my last name was Mozart and I did it when I was six, oh, he's a fucking genius, Mozart. But a darky Indian guy who does it in Newark, New Jersey, was a low caste guy. It's actually uh, the anniversary is coming up right. in a month. So August 30th, 1982. So those yeah. are the facts. But I did it very humbly, got it, forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Now, that was one journey I'm going through, right? And I know we're going to continue this interview, yeah. but in the interest of, you know, to all the people yep, to all the who are listening, yep. let me just end with this last piece here and we'll continue this. But... You see, that's one parallel path, the scientist, the inventor, the seeker of truth, right? Mm -hmm. The fighter. But there was a physical fight I was also doing. When I, by the time I was 17, I'd learned not only how to program, how to work with people 30, 40 years older than me, publish papers. I'd published a paper on sudden infant death syndrome at that time in the early 80s. Right, most undergraduates don't, at MIT don't even do that. Mm -hmm. I had enough credit to graduate MIT in two years. All right, but I was more interested in human liberation, fighting injustice. And I wanted to understand why is it I was treated like that? Why is it my people were treated like that? 
Why is it those people in New Jersey work so fucking hard? Why is it that woman came and yelled at me, that Jewish mother? What audacity does she have to yell at a 12-year-old boy mm -hmm. to thinking that her son should get an award because, well, he just decided not to work that year and I did. Where were all of these views coming from? And so I started to study systems, political systems. Someone introduced me to a guy called Noam Chomsky right at that time. And now I don't agree with everything Chomsky says, but in those days you could study. And by the way, Chomsky is the second most cited person in all of human history. Wow. Next to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He's known as the biggest scholar of our time. Wow. Chomsky took me in. I was 18, 19 as a student and I studied the Indian caste system. Wow. I didn't know. That's and I discovered the origins of the caste system, how it was actually being blown up by these amazing religious spiritual leaders in the eighth century in India how people were blowing up the caste system. It was gone, essentially disappearing. And how the British, so to all you Brahmins out there who say, oh, why is Dr. Shiva, oh, we're Brahmins are being attacked. Like white people and you talk about racism. Oh, there is no racism. No, there is fucking racism mm -hmm. and there is caste. So get over yourselves. Mm -hmm. Don't try to dri drive it under the rug. Yeah. Let's deal with it, okay? Grow some balls, grow a spine and fucking deal with it. So you're a fucking Brahmin like Vivek, been given everything. Mm -hmm. I wasn't given everything. So if you weren't spit in your face and you don't believe there's a caste system, fuck you, okay? Yeah. You are, a, you are a, a, a casteist. And by the way, Brahmin in the original tradition meant not because you were given it by your name, but you worked for it. A Brahmin was a scholar, mm -hmm. a rishi who worked for it. I would be considered truly a Brahmin, but we were told we were non-Brahmins. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You see how they flip everything? Yeah. So what I ended up learning was a caste system was originally a guild system. Then it became this onerous system. Oh, if you were a toilet cleaner, your son's supposed to be a toilet. That mm -hmm. was never supposed to be like that. Right. But by the 8th to 15th century in India, the caste system was breaking up. And there were seeing amazing leaders who were saying, this is fucked up. If there's equality in heaven, there should be equality on earth. And by the time the British came to India, the caste system was breaking away. The fucking British, who love hierarchy, are the ones who reimpose a caste system. They brought all these Brahmin scholars and they rewrote the laws. So I would have to be picking coconuts the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so you've Brahmins, quote unquote Brahmins out there, wake the fuck up, go learn some history. Mm -hmm. Okay. So don't say poor old me, I'm a Brahmin, I'm being abused now, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not being abused. Go learn your fucking history. Yeah. I always say keep that, educating. Keep educating. Exactly. Now, so by 1718, I, I start getting involved in politics. So at MIT, we had created a newspaper, which was a radical newspaper called The Student with the Fist on it. We started organizing the food service workers because mm -hmm. I saw these food service workers. We were people like my mom and dad and my people in New Jersey had no proper wages. We organized yeah. them, we mobilized them. We forced MIT to give them wages. We made sure more women got into MIT, more poor blacks and poor whites. Mm -hmm. 20, there's only 20% women at MIT as though math and science were only for white nerds, you know, right? rich white nerds, right? right? It's not true. So we, with that little flyer, that little piece of paper, we scared the shit out of the MIT administration. So people say, oh, you went to MIT. Yeah. Well, I was fighting the MIT administration. I never wanted to go there guys. Yeah. So just understand that. Yeah. And, but I was good at what I did. So they didn't know how to deal with me. Shit. This guy gets A's. He yeah, wins yeah, all yeah. the awards. Yeah. That's easy shit for me by then, right? Mm -hmm. All these nerds would have to nerd out. They would have to have <laughs> squeaky voices. Literally, I saw these nerds change their voices to think they were intelligent by 
wearing glasses a certain way and getting squeaky voices. They weren't that smart, mm -hmm. okay? But the reality was in 1984, and I'll, you know, sort of, we'll go into other stuff after yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in 1984, what happens? And uh, John, after this, you can sort of cut after this, right? But in 1984 is, there's an election taking place. Jesse Jackson, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Ronald Reagan is the Republican, right. um, is against Walter Mondale, mm -hmm. the Democrat. And this is the first time I'm sort of looking at electoral politics. Right. But as a fighter, we see this other guy, Jesse Jackson, and he's talking a bunch of, you know, we the people, blah, blah, blah. And he's got a movement called the Rainbow Movement, and he's calling out Mondale, right? Even though he's part of the Democratic wing. Right. So we're like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. Like he's calling out the establishment. Right, yeah. Right? And wow, this is pretty cool. So, all you know, we as students on campus, like sort of the anti-establishment wing, mm -hmm. we're very supportive of this shit. Mm -hmm. But then we see something wild occur. On the night of the Democratic convention, what does Jesse Jackson do? He'd taken all these poor blacks, poor whites, got them excited. And then at the last minute, he says, we must heal our wounds. We must heal the divide. You heard that? Mm -hmm. We must come together, mm -hmm. meaning the Democrats. Yeah. And he gives all of his movement votes to fucking Mondale. Yeah. Lesser of two evils. First right. time I started he hearing this. Yes, yes. And that's when me and my friends woke up. We said, shit, the parties, the, the, uh, the Democrats have their left wing, right? They had the obvious establishment, mm -hmm. Walter Mondale, but they had this left wing, which riles people up, yeah. even attacking Mondale. And then we said, wait a minute. These people are all full of shit. So I never voted because I realized, and I started, as you study politics, you realize it is a bottoms up movement that changes the world. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, we can keep going on on this, but yeah. the key thing I want to emphasize to people is that was a point to this point now, 1984. Now we're what, thir 39 years later, mm -hmm. right? To this point, when I look at the movement that we've created, Truth, Freedom, Health, mm -hmm. Truth, Freedom, Health is a recognition that the establishment, and listen to me very carefully, we take a graph, it's got the left and the right, mm -hmm. not only the left and the right, but something even more clever. They have the obvious, and you draw another line, mm -hmm. they have the obvious establishment and the not so obvious establishment. So you end up with a grid, mm -hmm. right? The right obvious establishment, the right not so obvious establishment. The left, the yep. left obvious establishment, the left not so obvious establishment. Right. And once you understand this, but they're all part of the establishment. Mm -hmm. So today, on the right, obvious establishment, you have people like Paul Ryan. Mm -hmm. I'll get people like McConnell. Mm -hmm. On the left, obvious establishment, you have the people like the Clintons. Mm -hmm. I'll get people like Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, these people are obvious. It's actually, they're telling you, I'm gonna fuck you. Yeah. But these are the insidious people. You have the right, not so obvious establishment, which is what Trump was created for. Right. And you have the left, not so obvious establishment is now booby yeah. fucking Kennedy. And it was Bernie. It was Bernie. It yeah. was, then they used Jesse Jackson, mm -hmm. right? So they are manufacturing for, and this is a systems approach. So that point to today, the journey was figuring this out. Yeah. You know, my journey, and we'll talk more about this, going to MIT, understanding system science, Yeah. studying more, building many, many movements, building bottoms up protests, mm -hmm. right? Teaching people how to write and read. Um, going through my four degrees at MIT, which fundamentally, I want to be very clear, 
I realized that I would come to a point one day because of my color of my skin, because of where I grew up, that the only thing that I had was my education. Because if I didn't get that education, I'd say, who the fuck are you? Right. And even now, even in spite of that education, they make me invisible. I, it's No, it's crazy. I, I, was, right? I've told, I told John off air before we started the show. It's crazy how I could see how censored you are specifically on YouTube and Instagram, really, you know, and the I, people who censor me are not the Bidens. Yeah, it is the fucking Elon Musk. It is yeah, the it fucking is. doofus Patrick Bet David. It <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. It is a fucker Joe Rogan. It is that fucking crackpot Russell Brand. Yeah. Oh, you know, talk. he talks as though he's a spiritual. Fuck crazy. you. You know nothing about. And it is censorship to make not even attacking me. You see, they keep the theater. Oh, my God. Poor Trump is being indicted. Oh, my God. They say shit against Bobby. That's all theater. But they exclude me literally because I will blow them all up. Yeah. And everyone understand that. So if you have been listening to the last hour here and you know my journey, mm -hmm. my journey is your journey. Right. My journey is a journey of people who suffer injustice every day. Booby fucking Kennedy has never suffered injustice. Literally. If I, mean, I spit yeah. in a cop's face when I was 17, I'd be in fucking jail. Yeah. If I took fucking heroin all my life. I don't know. Yeah, you wouldn't be here maybe. I know? wouldn't be fucking here. Yeah. If I, you know... Uh, banged 38 women while I'm married and my wife hangs herself, an investigation would have been done on me and I probably would be in prison. Yeah. If I came from a family which had a history of fucking over people, I'd probably be a mobster openly, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. These people are mobsters. Booby fucking Kennedy literally steals all my material. Steals it. And the establishment allows him to steal it because his job is to be the left, not so obvious established to right. make sure that I am made invisible and you are made invisible, that you don't have a real fighter, right? that you don't have a real warrior. He's putting out a fucking book called The Truth Warrior. <laughs> so I'm going to put out a book called The Real J J Fucking Kennedy Jr. You're looking at The Real Warrior. Malcolm X was our real warrior. Yeah. Okay? Yep. People like Philip in India were our real warriors. Okay. These people are not the real warriors. They're bullshitters, and we must expose them yeah. because they're more evil than Biden. They're more evil than the McConnells. You yeah. know McConnell's going to fuck you. Yeah. These people are evil. And so why am I running for president? Because you deserve one of us. Yeah. You deserve me. You deserve someone who's walked in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And real That's quick, for, why. For, the, for the people so, still out there, if, if are we still live? Yeah, John, John we're okay, still cool. live, right? Just for for those people still out there asking, you know, you're running for president. How how is it that you're running for president being born in India? Right. So first of all, you see, I went to AP history. I studied the constitution. Mm -hmm. You're looking at someone who's a scholar. I know so, it's hard he's to a understand. sovereign citizen. You're a real sovereign citizen. Well, no, I work my ass off. Yeah. Okay. Um in 2020, I filed my own lawsuit. Booby Kennedy came to our lawsuits, listened to everything. He's stolen our lawsuit. Really? He, yes. John, did he not come? <laughs> He was on the Zoom calls with his people, okay? Wow. He's a fucker. He's a... I wish we could have duels. I, I, you know what's funny? I really wish we could have fucking duels. You know what's funny? I, I, I really just, wish you took we could have duels like we did in the old days. Yeah. And I, Tony, deal with this man-to-man. -man. Tony, how many times do I say that? I, don't you... Yeah, like literally, there should be moments. And, and it's fair game. Like, if I lose in the fight right now in a moment against someone... I'm I will here. take on Trump and Kennedy and Elon Musk in a fucking cage fight together. I'll join him. Okay? To the end. Knockout. Okay? Not this bullshit Musk versus Zuck. Oh, my God. Okay? What a show. So what's happening right now, everyone, is they do not want one of you. Mm -hmm. And that's why the 
the so think about what happened. I mean, we'll go into the details. We got a lot more to do in this yeah, show. Yeah, of course, of but course. But to let everyone know as I wrap up this part is that do you want one of you or do you, the real issue, this is a real issue. It's truly about injustice and it ultimately comes down to you. Do you have self-respect for you? Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, the core of this story is that when, you know, my stuff went into the Smithsonian in 2011, 12, and I never talked about the invention of email. My dear mom in a suitcase had all the materials. The editor of Time Magazine, 33 years later, I never wanted fame or fortune from the invention. Clearly, of email. I mean, you would, I, I, you wouldn't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's obvious that you didn't want it. Right. You so, know? But 33 years later, a friend of mine who's a professor at Emerson invited the my mom in a suitcase three months before she's dying of a horrible disease. She never even told me. She didn't want me to get worried. That's my mom. Oh. Very strong woman. Three months to live. Pulmonary fibrosis because she worked in a factory with all those asbestos around her, all right? So in a suitcase, she's got the copyright notice, all my tapes, the everything you can Sounds imagine. Like my mother, honestly. Definitively <laughs> proving beyond a shadow of a doubt an invented email. The only honest journalist was Doug Ameth, A-A-M-O-T-H. Look him up, science editor of Time Magazine. He came and looked at all this stuff. He goes, oh my God, you invented email. He wrote an article in Time Magazine. You can look at it. The man who invented email. Took the, what is email? It's not the simply exposes the fact the fucking ARPANET guys did not invent email. It's not a fucking nerd with glasses and a beard invented. It's pure bullshit. It's a fraud of the highest levels. Wrote a beautiful article. The Smithsonian contacts me on February 16th, 2012. My stuff goes into the Smithsonian. And a young African-American Washington Post reporter does a beautiful story. Dr. Shiva Idre honored as the inventor of email. Boom. A white racist motherfucker historian writes an article saying, this cannot be true because motherfucker had already written the story. Some white dude did it. I have to say white dude because yeah. he was a white dude. Yeah. In fact, don't be upset if you're white. Yeah. I'm not saying anything against you. A yeah. white dude who looked like a fucking nerd pu pulled him out of central casting when the same white dude admitted all he did was write some code, 15 minutes of code, text, text to a bottom of a file, which at best was a caveman version of WhatsApp. Right. That's all he created. It's not email. I created email, named it email, have the copyright. Where's the fucking controversy? So all this shit comes out. Gawker Media calls me an asshole, a dick. Do you understand the injustice? Yeah. And someone writes a blog post. And listen very carefully, ladies and gentlemen. If you claim you care about and you're woke, whether you're on the liberal side or you care about America, an article gets written and said, this curry-stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. Show it to you. This curry-stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. Gawker Media, fucking 25-year-old dick, writes, calling me an asshole, a dick. I'm teaching a class at MIT, the most popular class on systems visualization where I'm combining art theory, narrative storytelling. It's the most popular elective. Thousands of calls come to MIT saying, this guy should be fired. How dare he say he invented email? Email was done by the military, the ARPANET. All these 20, don't even know what the fuck the ARPANET was a bunch of computers and you don't need the ARPANET to run email. So I'm being bombarded. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> All I wanted to do was donate my stuff to the Smithsonian. Never wanted fame or fortune. In fact, made no money because copyright doesn't let you get royalties as patents do, mm. which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So I'm you, looking yeah. at this shit, I'm realizing 
Just like that, what happened in seventh grade, just like that fucking crazy Jewish woman coming and yelling at me, the same shit is happening. Why? Because of jealousy. Because I, because I did it before I came to MIT. Mm -hmm. You see, it was done in Newark. It was done by a 14-year-old darkie mm -hmm. in a small medical college. Had email been invented at MIT, ooh, great. Oh my gosh, yeah. Stamp of approval. Yeah. And this is what ends up happening. I realize it's a very important personal and deep transformation. That's when I realized, wait a minute, I fought for injustice against, you know, these MIT administrators who weren't giving proper wages to the food service workers. In my PhD graduation, I held up a sign saying US out of Iraq. I fought for veterans. But this was a much deeper journey. And this is why I say this it's a deeply personal as well as a larger societal thing. I had to say, holy shit, they're raping me. They're Overnight, my name is being destroyed. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia blocks my page. They call me all sorts of names. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm all these names, all my Fulbright, all my awards, all my front page stories at MIT mean nothing. Overnight, I'm a curry-stained Indian who should be beaten and hanged. And not one fucking Indian stood up for me. And I had to deal with that because Indians have no self-respect because they never had a good revolution in India. Mm. They know how to suck ass. They know how to bootlick. And I wasn't going to bootlick because my mom taught me not to be a bootlicker. And in honoring my mom and my grandparents and all those people in, in New Jersey, I decided I had to fight mm -hmm. for me and that 14-year-old kid who did invent email. And it was a journey to self-respect at a deeper level than me fighting, passing mm -hmm. out leaflets for others. And I'm telling all of you, if you're listening to this today, you have to make that journey. You have to self-reflect. Why do you fucking think booby fucking Kennedy cares about you? Why do you think Donald Trump cares about you? The person who cares about you is me and other working people. Whose loyalty are you gonna do, him? He supported lockdowns in 2020 against you. Yeah, nobody even knows about that. Well, they do need to know about yeah. it. And the reason it's so hard for you to accept a 14-year-old boy invented emails because there's a part of white supremacy in you. And by the way, white, you don't have to be white. A lot of Indians are white supremacists. Oh, oh he didn't invent email. A white guy must have done it. Indians can't do that. Most Indians are white supremacists. Mm. Many working-class whites who are whites are not white supremacists. This, yeah. is, this is a conundrum, yeah. okay? They look at this and say, shit, the guy fucking invented email. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh Shut the fuck up. You yeah. go to New Jersey, they say, shut the fuck up, yeah. he invented email. Yeah. But an Indian dude, oh, well, I don't know if he invented email. You know, <laughs> Indians don't do that. You're a fucking white supremacist. So why am I running for president? Because number one, I can run and be president. The 14th Amendment clearly states it. Equal protection clause. There's no caste system in the United States. There's no two-tier citizens. A naturalized citizen is equal to a natural born citizen, period. So I filed a declaratory relief lawsuit already. It's in the courts. And that win will help the 20 million other immigrants who bust their ass and come to this country legally, obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay. And all of you people who are natural born citizens who sit on your ass and don't value the First Amendment and want to suck off Bobby Kennedy and want to suck off Trump will wake the fuck up because you may. Maybe your citizenship should be taken away. Maybe you don't deserve that citizenship. Maybe the immigrants like me who work their butt offs are naturalized, followed the rules. Maybe we're more patriotic than you. And wake the fuck up to that concept. Because you know what? Right now, 
In December 15, 1791, the most important part of the United, what makes us Americans is the following. Congress shall pass no laws to bridge the first freedom of speech. Let me repeat that again. December 15, 1791. I wish I knew the time mm-hmm. that they all signed it. On that day, the most important thing that occurred in human history since we came out of the freaking forest was a bunch of human beings got together and had self-respect for themselves. And they said, Congress, Congress shall pass no law to abridge freedom of speech. Repeat that again. Congress shall pass no law to breach freedom of speech. That is what makes you American and me American, that you actually believe that and you live that and you will die and fight for that. On November 16, 2018, a bunch of fucking losers, a bunch of fucking people who hate you in America, unanimously signed into law CISA, which has given the right to censor and abridge the freedom of speech. No law should be passed. Congress passed a law unanimously to abridge and censor the speech of every fucking American. All of them have shit on their hands. And fucking Trump, make America great. Fuck you, Trump. You signed that bill. And don't say you don't know how to read. Well, you had time to fucking go get pussy everywhere you went and try to pay off people. You hate America. And now you have booby fucking Kennedy being invited to present at the testimony when it was I who exposed that that law created the censorship infrastructure in our historic lawsuit where I wrote all the briefs. I did the work for a year. I'm the one independently in federal court went against seven lawyers. All of this stuff was stolen and not one motherfucker in Congress wants to invite me. You know why? Because all those fucking Republicans and Democrats signed into law the creation of CISA. So they're trying to make, oh, booby. We're going to put booby against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's a pig, but you have another pig, one pig fighting against another pig. Right. And they're making this pig feel like this pig is better. You're all being played. Thomas Massey, fuck you. You went to MIT? You did. You don't want to invite me because I will expose you and I'll expose the fact that every member of Congress hates this country. You hate fucking America. They do. It's, it's So that's why I'm running for president because it's time you had one of you. America needs someone like me because right now, social media is fucking Musk and Zuck. Democrats and Republicans. Republicans own Twitter. Democrats own Facebook. You're being fucking played. Yeah. And then they have this fucking idiot, this fucking moron Kennedy. And I love Owen Benjamin making fun of this fool. I've, I've been making fun of him before, Owen. The guy, the reason his fucking throat is fucked up, I'll tell you why. Because in the if you understand the chakra system, the crown chakra and your third eye is your thoughts. It is your connection to God and spirit. The throat chakra sits between your connection to God and your actions. His fucking deeds don't match his words, his thoughts. He's a fucking demon. That's why his voice is like wow. that. God did that to his voice. Yeah. And he's telling you mm-hmm. to your face. That's crazy. So That's wake the fuck up. Shiva for president. Truth, freedom, and health. It took me 50 years to organize this. So if you want to go to hell and follow Kennedy and follow Trump, 
do it. But you know what? Enough people are waking up. Mm-hmm. And those people are going to really be serving God. And if you're a Christian, wake the fuck up. You want to talk the Bible? Come on here. We'll talk all day long. Christ had a cat of nine tails. And he told those people, get the fuck out. I'm sure he didn't tell you, oh, could you please move? I'm sure he fucking cursed at those people. So if you want to be a Christian, you support Shiva for president. You support our movement. If you want to be a left-wing supposed person who believes in Karl Marx, Let's talk about Marx. Support workers. I'm a worker. You want to, not Bernie Sanders, not AOC. So whether you're on the far left or the far right, do it. Be a Christian. Be a fighter for working people. Be a true communist or be a true Christian. That's my challenge. Thank you. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? I was born a low-caste untouchable in India's caste system a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses, and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14-year-old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remain safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard, and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers, and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not-so-obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They've transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. 
Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for president of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people, for the working people, who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health to win back America, be part of this historic movement, all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. President. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shivaya Duray, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Shiva for President.